working as a poet being mentored by another poet I mean that's how life has always been in poetry going back generations she is also the one who really pushed me to go after what I want um, and so we were sitting in my kitchen and we were like you know what it would be good if other poets can experience it we're like why don't we do it let's do it when do we start next week let's start next week this is verse mentors a four-part podcast series exploring the world of poetry and mentoring i'm will may from the university of Southampton, and i'll be hearing from poets and mentors across the uk as we uncover the support that gets our best words into the best places i learn so much from my mentees because they bring me things i've never had to think about and It's an amazing, if it works well, it's an amazing two-way relationship. So I hate my mentors feel like that about me, but I certainly feel like that about my mentees. Practicality and, and magic and kind of finding the sweet spot between the two, I think. In each half-hour episode, we'll be hearing from three guests who will talk to us about how they've benefited from giving and receiving one-to-one support for their work. We'll be thinking about the various places mentoring happens, from kitchen tables to publishing houses or bus stops. We'll be thinking about the hidden history of mentoring and discussing why the stubborn myth of a lone poet won't die. And we'll hear firsthand some of the technical advice that's changed the direction of a writer's career and what it is that mentors learn from the writers they work with across their lives. In our first episode, How Do Poets Teach?, we'll be joined by Romelin Anti, Aviva Deutsch and Caleb Parkin, who have been our three fantastic mentors for Poetry Ambassadors, a new year-long mentoring scheme for poets I've been running along with Arthur Scribe in the Winchester Poetry Festival. I talked to them about how mentors have helped them on their own journeys. First up is Romelin Anti, a poet based in Wolverhampton who moved to the UK from the Philippines when she was 16 years old. I was writing ever since I could remember um, obviously not necessarily in English, which is my second language, but I've always been writing. But I took writing pretty seriously. And when I say seriously, as in there's an active um, kind of will for me to to write poetry in English back in 2012. And at that time, I was also a newly qualified nurse. So I was writing pretty on my own um, at that time. I asked Romelin about how she found her writing community. In 2016, I did a course at Arvon, which was run by Ian Duhigg and Mimi Calvati. And from Ian, I actually got to know that there's a scheme, another scheme called Jerwood Arvon Mentorship Program, where you are assigned a mentor and you're going to be mentored for a whole year. And through that scheme, I got to know my first writing mentor I would say um so so I met Pascal Petit. Yet for the poets I talk to their experience of formal mentoring often makes them reflect on earlier role models flashpoints or epiphanies on their road to becoming a poet as Caleb Parkin suggested. I think growing up I also had some mentors that I maybe didn't realise were mentors um in certain aspects so like my English teacher who I re-met which was delightful when I gave a reading at Aubrey uh, so it's really nice he now runs a bookshop and actually it was super nice to reconnect and I was, I was like Mr Charleston and so and he was a poet and he would he brought in um, a book of poetry that he'd written which was like students bought and he was a you know so he had that practice and I always remember in my um, in a, a couple of times he referred to me as a poet you know when I was like 14 15 16 
Um, and that's very powerful, I think, to actually call someone a poet. And, um, and I guess I notice in groups sometimes and I'm like, oh, there's one. <laughs> and you think, actually, this person really needs to keep writing. So these very early memories of meeting a poet, particularly if they might recognise us as one, can be transformative. But for many of us, the journey from reading poetry to writing it can be a longer one, as Eva Deutsch told me when she explained how she met her mentor, Mimi Calvati. I was reading lots of modern poetry and loved it. Um, and I did a few workshops at City University with Michael Donaghy. Um, we're talking early 2000s. But then he died and I, my life went off the rails. I had lots of family and caring responsibilities. So I then came back to poetry after a gap of several years. And one of the first things I did was sign up for a course at poetry school, which I had no idea about anything, didn't know what I was doing. and Boy, did I luck out because it was taught by Mimi. Um, and it was a year long versification course that was looking at form and craft. And from that moment on, she's kind of always been in the background guiding me. Um, and I spent a lot of time both doing close reading of poems with her, but also just getting her advice about kind of larger ideas about poetry, what to read, how to think, um, all sorts of things. So why might poets in particular need mentors? Romelin has some ideas. It is quite lonelier in poetry, and that is because poetry for me, the field is so small, but also so big at the same time. So there's a lot of people whom you can come across with or you can meet, but then again, you may not meet them again, or like you may just like follow them on social media. One of the joys of building a specific relationship to support your writing is that it will be particular, idiosyncratic, shaped by interaction and change for both of you. It's not gonna be a list of do's and don'ts, as Aviva reminded me. I've heard talks from other people. There was one who I'm not going to name, who he came into a class and his first comments was, oh, you always do the same thing when you get a poem given, chop off the beginning and chop off the end because the meat's always in the middle. Now, there is actually <laughs> underneath that like course, yeah. analogy, there is a truth to that. Yeah. Often people write their way into a poem and stay on too long. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, sometimes it's that I'm writing a poem which is obsessive and it's free verse and actually really what the content's telling me is it needs to be something like a Sestina or a Villanelle. Or I'm writing something with long lines and then I get to the end and there's really awkward line breaks and I look at it and the poem's telling me it needs to be a short line or a short poem or, you know, I, I think I've written a poem and I look at it and then something's missing and it either needs to grow and be a big canvas or be a sequence. So that idea of look at the gesture, let the poem tell you what it needs, but have learned all the different craft techniques so they're automatically in your muscle memory and you can reach for them. I think that's what Mimi's given me. The larger network shaped by mentoring schemes can also help connect writers and makers across genres, as Romlin explained from her time on the Room 204 Writer Development Programme run by Writing West Midlands. One of the comments that I've always got um, from my friends or other writers who are from other disciplines was that they adore 
poets because somehow poets have this sense of creating really great imagery you know mm -hmm. and when you think about it when you're a fiction writer or when you're a screen um, a script writer you want to create a sense of imagery whether mm -hmm. it's setting a scene or setting the stage or how you would describe a, a specific act and i think there's that sense of um creating or, or developing your you developing your way of looking at things and mm -hmm. paying attention on on things and paying attention to the world. So with all this collective and collaborative work in poetry, we might wonder whether a mentor really is in a position of greater influence and authority as traditional definitions of mentoring suggest. Does poetry make things a little bit more equal than that? Both Caleb and Romelin talked to me in their interviews about the need to resist rigid rules and how mentoring helps loosen professional hierarchies. As with therapeutic work as well, and therapy is to do with standing alongside. And I'm not saying I'm not saying that um, you know being a poetry mentor is a therapist, but it it may have an aspect of standing alongside over yeah. time. Yeah. Um, and certainly, I think that you know, with my mentor, um, and these days we'll kind of get together and have a glass of wine over Zoom and a chat, and it's kind of quite informal. But we're sharing, you know, we're like always sharing things, resources, poems, whatever else. Uh, and I think poetry is a great space for things suddenly being quite flat and egalitarian you know i don't really want to be didactic especially yeah. in in mentoring because mm. this journey is not just about oh i've done this so that it must it must work with you too you know um in a way we kind of walk side by side so we don't walk on this journey me being in front and you should follow me because you're the mentee and and that's what Pascal and Marjorie and Aaron have made me feel. So I guess that's that that's that's what I'd like to do as well with my mentees. So perhaps the mentor is there to welcome us into the world of poetry. And as our relationship and career develops, we find other sorts of mentoring in other places. Caleb talked to me about his editor at Nine Arches Press as he put together his first collection, This Fruiting Body. How did the editor work? as a kind of mentor for him. She's very considered and very gentle, but would also be like, no, not that one. <laughs> so it's like very nice, practical conversations about this thing you're making together. Yeah. Um, yeah. So an editorial relationship like that is fantastic. Uh, another Nine Arches poet, Tom Sastry, I remember him saying that if you've got loads of time between the initial manuscript and the published book, then what you find is you can actually then write into some of the themes that have appeared. You might not yeah. do it deliberately or it might they might just appear in your practice. And if you're kind of um, aware, of, you know, alert to their possibility, then those might slot in and become actually really exciting. So I think there's always this thing of not looking too directly at the process in a way, because otherwise it can become less, take a bit of magic away. Yeah, so yeah. Um, um, yeah. practicality and, and magic and kind of finding the sweet spot between the two, I think. That balance between practicality and magic can also be tested in more formal structures like education. Aviva talked to me about how she struck that balance by combining formal education in poetry with other kinds of support. Someone else who became important to me was Jo Shapcock. She was my supervisor. She became my supervisor when I did my PhD. But again, I started off just 
doing a kind of extramural course with her. Um, I did a master's in creative and life writing at Goldsmiths. So I had the formal education, but parallel to that, I did just did lots and lots of courses, um, really learned what I was doing. And then my big breakthrough was Primus, which mm. was 2018. Um, and by that point, I'd kind of on and off tried things, but I had already passed the age brackets for the emerging, all the emerging stuff. And it was the first scheme I'd saw, I saw for an emerging person that wasn't age bounded. Mentoring opportunities often have specific criteria, but those criteria can become boundaries too, given the many different ways we might find our way into poetry. Caleb talked to me about his poetry mentor, Carrie Etta, but also why it took time for him to identify poetry as a potential career. I guess like, I only felt like I could take to poetry in my 30s because I didn't have all the practical skills to make a living. Uh, you know, I'm not in, um, I'm not like an academic um, and lots of poets are. Um, and I've done lots of other jobs. So I worked in media production and I've worked in events organising and various other things. And, and so actually what I've really appreciated with mentoring from Carrie is it's not only about the poetry, it's also about how you make your way through the world as a poet. And it's about how you forge connections and about how you um, promote yourself. And I don't mean that in a really like annoying way. It's quite important that you take part in poetry and that's how you get more, more opportunities. The idea of taking part in poetry certainly chimes with Romlin's experience of being mentored on the Arvin course. Pascal mentored me and three other poets, uh, Alice Healer, Yvonne Reddick and Serafina Kennedy, with whom I've developed, developed a really strong sense of friendship and comradeship in a way. And I think that it was just a, a right time for me. I mean, it was my artistic journey was blooming, um, if I could say it like that, because obviously I am learning a lot from Pascal and also I'm learning a lot from my fellow mentees and we are developing that, that strong connections strong friendship so I think that's quite important as well because it could be really really um lonely in the poetry world <laughs> and you will need that kind of comradeship you know like true and real comradeship I would say the generous spirit of the poetry community is something that seems to be everywhere felt but not very often spoken about it's just so thriving um, and quite resilient to um, everything that's been going on over the last year and a bit because we, you can write on Zoom and I think spoken word posts have, it's been really challenging not to be able to perform um, but we're, we're amazingly resilient and um, find ways through again I'm yeah. thinking focus uh, <laughs> <laughs> we cycle and we, we, you know, we find different ways of doing things and we run on very little anyway people can be very critical of it and you know the communities within it and the backstabbing or whatever or the nepotism mm. like you get a lot of that being talked about yeah. i think i've been, maybe i've been very lucky mm. but i think what's not talked about enough is the generosity yeah you know there is a huge warmth and generosity amongst poets to other poets we read each other we buy each other we support each other we workshop with each other and challenge each other and you know part of me working with my mentees is to pay back how much was given to mm -hmm. me yeah. but also part of it is to help them 
grow their own communities. So that idea of, do I see them as a collective? I see them as a Venn diagram. So everything I'd heard so far had shown me how transformative those mentoring relationships could be. But after the scheme or the year-long mentoring's finished, what happens then? What are the longer-lasting legacies of the mentoring process? Robin and Auntie. Marjorie's always said that at the end of the day, this is your own journey. Um, you don't have to take in everything that I recommend. It's up to you to reflect on that and take what you think is m- most useful. Um, however, I feel that they would always be my mentors. I mean, I, I am still in contact with Pascal and Marjorie. I think that they've always been, they, they will always be my mentors especially because I would always go back to what they have taught me. I mean, I kept this um, book full of things that they've said and their tips and et cetera. And and when I feel stuck on a project, I would go back to to that book or to that notebook and look at what Marjorie or what Pascal or what Aaron says something about line breaks or imagery or how a poem appears on the page so I guess in that way I would always be mentored by them from a distance or from memory. So mentoring can be long-lasting and nourishing and there can be a circularity too to the ways in which you might continue to learn from your future mentees as Caleb explains. And I'm certainly finding this within this mentoring project that um, I'm learning a huge amount and of course you do like I think it's uh, in any whether it's mentoring or tutoring or you know any of those kind of roles, then you should always be learning and finding out. And, and what's nice within uh, my mentoring relationship, where I've been mentored as a mentee, um, is that then I started to be able to pass on, oh, I'm, I'm doing this reading. Should we do a reading together? And it's like a paid thing. And so, you know, so I suppose I always think about that mycelium and passing around the nutrients. And we, and we are kind of passing them around. And that's not ever just going to be I think it would be a problematic relationship if it was just bestowing. So what kind of things can we learn from mentees? Well, mentoring can change a mentor's relationship to their own work or poetics. Aviva talked to me about a recent mentoring experience she'd had, which had challenged her to rethink her own relationship to the British tradition. You know, I have a, a mentee I work with very closely who's from Afghanistan. He writes in Farsi and he comes from the Ghazal tradition. So it might be with him, not only am I looking at the Ghazal form, but I'm looking, I've got to have enough to be able to talk about what does it mean to work with those big romantic concepts, bird or tree or sky, you know, that it's those kind of big romance words, which are often used in the Ghazal, but also in that kind of romantic Farsi tradition. Whereas the current British tradition is very concrete. You know, a lot of advice would be, don't write tree, write oak or willow or you don't write bird, be specific, it's, you know, an owl or a sparrow or a yeah. or whatever. Never use the word soul. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so I want to be able to kind of have those conversations with him. The kinds of support a writer might need throughout their career can change too. Romelin's collection, Antiemetic for Homesickness, contains the striking line, anyone who tells a story is robbed. And she talked to me about that line in the context of her mentoring and the ways in which mentors help build resilience and build confidence after publication as well as before it. 
it's as if, you know, I'm thinking again about this, anyone who tells a story is robbed because sometimes you get to be put in a box. So for example, since anti-emetic for homesickness, I've had people who said, and I mean, what I mean by people is basically anon anonymous, anonymous emails. People, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if they're really people. <laughs> who said, oh, all you can write about is about nursing, you know, or I've heard comments when I got the poet, the, the Poetry London Prize, you know, you've only won because you are a woman and you write about nursing. So in a way, because I'm telling something that I'm very passionate about, and this is what I wanted to really truly tell and write about, I'm also put in a box. Yeah. by mm. by whoever readers is this and that's the, again it's as if i am robbed of of the benefit of the doubt that yeah. I, I could actually write something else and it happens you know it happens in other poets as well especially if you're a poet who's you know you could really frame oh this mm. poet is writing about identity writing about their heritage so if it takes some confidence to call yourself a poet it can take some resilience and determination to put your work into the world. Mentors can help here too by creating a private, trusted space for your writing. Yet it also seems true that mentoring opens the door to seeing poetry as a much more networked, communal kind of activity, even if we just connect all the different people mentored by a particular poet. Aviva talked to me about how often and how variously she sees the influence of her mentor, Mimi Calvati, in contemporary poetry. Even if um, I open a magazine which is not at all, like it's an avant-garde experimental magazine, for example, which is not really where she's coming mm -hmm. from, but I could normally spot two or three people who've been mentored with her. I look at a prize list, I think this, this person, that person's worked with her. I look at... Um, all the projects coming out with Ledbury of mm -hmm. the, for kind of, which I think is brilliant, like the opportunities for people who are not kind of pure white privileged English. Again, so many of those people have worked with her at some point. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think, I think it's amazing. And I think, again, we then work with each other. We work with students. So I want to encourage my mentees, yes, to have a relationship with me. Yes, to build relationships on the page to people, but also to build relationships to, with each other yeah. and across yeah. circles. Like, don't just stay in your own specific circle. So the more and more I talked to Romelin, Aviva and Caleb, the less and less mentoring seemed about one-to-one -one relationships and more it seemed as if that mentoring relationship was a gateway to a much wider community. The word mentor loops us back to a very particular tradition and the Greek myth of Odysseus. When he's making his long journey home, mentor is the friend he asks to look over and guide his son Telemachus, although, in fact, much of the guidance is given by the goddess Athena, and mentor doesn't seem to do much at all. So, can that tell us something about mentoring itself? Is it a substitute for other kinds of invisible support? I spoke to all three poets about important mentoring stories for them and the cultural myths and traditions they're drawn on in their own work as tutors and mentors. I didn't really get to read a lot as a child. Um, we could barely afford a book, <laughs> you know. Um, but my grandfather, he, 
is a story storyteller in a way. And as we know, folk tales are about people who are very flawed, but then somehow they manage to save the world <laughs> or their community or, or themselves at least. Those have those characters have been my mentors. So for example, the legend of the pineapple, which is about a girl who had a sick mother and her mother was asking her to help her while she was sick, you know, to cook for her or to at least clean the house for her. And this little girl would just say, oh, I cannot do this mother because I cannot see. And she's just been very lazy and she's got a lot of excuses. And towards the end, her mother, out of anger, um, cursed her. The next morning, when her mother gets better, she couldn't find the girl, but she finds a pineapple, a fruit with so many eyes, um, in their front yard. Because the mother taught me to actually not make excuses, you know? There are millions of excuses why we shouldn't write. But as a writer, we should always find that one reason and believe in that reason why we should. Those were my invisible mentors, um, my grandfather's stories, my mother's stories, and the characters that, that they created. I'm involved in a, in a Buddhist tradition and, um, and there's a kind of aspect of lineage there as well, of kind of, which is really important in all Buddhist traditions. Um, and yeah, and so I have teachers and they have teachers and they had teachers and everyone has, uh, but teachers doesn't, you know, I think we, we have associations with that word. There's a kind of power imbalance that some people feel is in that word. And, um, and I don't think that's the case necessarily. Yeah. If you're the mentor trying to be sort of spacious and actually give what that person needs rather than what you just think you should hoist upon. <laughs> One of the really interesting things about, well, a few things interestingly about how I was taught and learned Jewishly. Um, one way is that the model of learning isn't a classroom with one person at the front teaching and then everyone else learning. The model is based on two friends. It's called Kevrita is the word, which literally does mean friend. And your Kevrita, your learning partner, is meant to be someone who has equal capabilities but a different background or set of skills and that you come together over a text and learn again learning isn't done so done solo so you know in the western world we've got this tradition of this the person independently reading on their own or being in a class kind of full of others being taught from the front so the jewish tradition is of the pair working over the text and that something magical electric happens in the meeting in the creative tension and the challenge and discussion over the text um but that's where the fire is you've been listening to verse mentors our four-part podcast series on poetry and mentoring thank you so much to my guests robin and auntie aviva deutsch and caleb parkin and to the arts and humanities research council for funding this project in our next episode, How Do Poets Learn, we'll be talking to Malika Booker about the poetry collective she founded in her kitchen. We'll be hearing tales from the archives of Carcanet from Dr Lisa Jallion, and we'll be looking at new research by Sue Dimmock about the impact of mentoring on young people.